HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Hello, this is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. So last week, um, we had Cook's Venture, which is a brand new agriculture company based in Arkansas that is currently producing chicken. And I bring it up because this week is going to be kind of a part two. <laughs> um, we're talking about chicken a lot this month, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, today, I'm here with two representatives from Shenandoah Valley Organic. I'm here with Jefferson Heatwall, who's the co-founder and current chief sales and marketing officer, and Jason Doherty, a fourth-generation farmer who currently raises chickens for Shenandoah Valley. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Um, you guys were really liking that intro music, weren't you? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it's a great opportunity for me to plug the artist, Caleb Stein. He's amazing. And I haven't actually mentioned him, I think, since we started the show. So <laughs> I love that little track. Um, so people eat a lot of chicken in the U.S. So that's another reason that it's okay to talk about chicken two weeks in a row, right? I looked this up before the episode. Americans are currently eating an average of 93 pounds of chicken per person per year. And the U.S. poultry industry produces more than 50 billion pounds of chicken per year. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Um, but you're doing it differently, and we're going to talk about that. Um, so Shenandoah Valley is based in Virginia. And um, Jefferson, I understand it was started by your family. Is that right? Yeah, uh, specifically my cousin Corwin Heatwell. So he's our CEO and the main founder. Okay. Um, yeah, a family-owned company, and um, most all of us have grown up. Well, our Corwin and myself, we are, I think it was our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather started farming when he came over from Germany. Wow. So it's been, and were you a farmer? Um, I grew up on a dairy farm and okay. then moved moved into other industry, and as part of the um, passion as well, because uh, Corwin worked in other industry as well while also going back to farming and really wanted to um, create more opportunities for farmers to stay farming right can you give us a little bit of background on like how that happened like the evolution of the company how long it's been around sure um okay so corwin really started um bringing the vision to life i'd say 2012 and 2013 um uh, 2013 is when um we found the property from which our, our plant operates which is in the north end of harrisonburg um was actually an old turkey processing facility oh. and sat empty for like 12 years so i guess uh <laughs> we're fans of recycling even uh, old buildings yeah that's great um and he started talking with uh some other farmers one of them is uh, uh uncle to me but it's on uh, my mom's side okay and um developed the farmer contract model that we use today it's the same one and that's that's really at the the foundation of of how the company came to exist um what makes that different is that the farmers are invested in the process um they have ownership in the birds and the feed uh, we negotiate transparently with those farmers and make sure that um, we're using that transparency to also create a model that pays them fairly. The The payout for our contract model is roughly 50% greater than what the conventional um, grow-out payments are. Um, but it does also require that the farmers invested in the process. So what that means is um, that model might not be for everybody. It has to... It, 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 to put it bluntly, it, it takes risk from both sides, if that makes sense. So um, it needs to have farmers that are confident in their capabilities to raise a good, high-quality chicken. And that's what we knew we were surrounded with there in the Shenandoah Valley, which is yeah, where, where we're located. And, and all of these chicken houses and, and very capable farmers within an hour radius of, of where we live were desperately needing another option to allow them to survive and thrive and pass the farms down through uh, future generations. So um, we started um, operating the plant in March of 2014. So we've just passed the five-year threshold a few months ago. Perfect. Um, I want to get really into that contract um, model, um, but... First, um, Jason, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about your history as a farmer? We started as a family with the poultry business in 1992. So we've had about 27 years wow. um, raising poultry. Growing up as a kid, um, we, of course, raised conventional birds. At a certain point in time, I felt that there's, there's just not really 
there's no advancement here. So I actually left and, and pursued other careers. I actually pursued a career in law enforcement. Um, and I still try to keep my hands in the farm. And eventually uh, I decided there's got to be another direction. So I came back full time on the farm and, and we really sat down and got into things. And, and we all decided there is a better way. We just have to find it. And after using due diligence, uh, research, we came across Shenandoah Valley Organics. We looked at their business model and everything that they stood for. And it was right in line with everything that we wanted as, as a farm and, and as a producer. So we, we talked to them and, and they were more than happy to come down and sit and talk to us and explain their whole process and, and we were excited. So we, we totally switched gears and we went fully into the organic side of things and, and brought, brought that whole uh, operation up to speed and it has been, it's been a fast paced operation but it's been phenomenal. Just everything from just the environment that we work in. Uh, the environment the birds are in and also the the financial stability that we're actually able to to have being a poultry farmer it just hasn't been heard of that's great um what was the transition like taking the farm that you'd been raising conventional birds for so long um and changing it to fit the organic standards that Shenandoah has with conventional birds everything is designed to keep the inside in and the outside out mm -hmm. um, with the organic side of things you're trying to put every bird in its most natural behavior. So you're trying to repli replicate the outside, even on the inside. Mm -hmm. So we're opening up doors and letting the birds have outside access. They're going outside, they're chasing grasshoppers, they're digging mm -hmm. holes, they're playing in the, in the grass and running and playing and jumping and getting that fresh air and that sunshine. Even on the inside, we're, we're building structures. We call them enrichments, things that they can climb on and hide under and mm -hmm. just anything that encourages natural behavior. Uh, we've put clear ventil uh, vents on the side of our buildings to allow, even when the birds are inside, they get that outside sunlight in. So they get that, they get that nice bright light, and it just replicates everything. We want to bring more of the outside inside now. Right. But so did you do that with existing buildings that you had, or did you have to build totally new structures? We did. We actually, our buildings uh, were the same buildings that we raise in now were what we started in 1992. Uh, so we were able to take those buildings and completely... Uh, it really wasn't that hard to retrofit them. You were huh. basically just giving them access to outside. And, and like, are you just like cutting holes in yeah. the side mm -hmm. of the building? Yeah, basically that's what you do. You just cut holes and say, hey, here you go, go play. Huh. Yeah, just one quick note on that. Yeah. Even, even as we got started, some of our original farmers had houses that because they didn't have like the required um, build out or upgrades from the contractors that they were working with, like let's say... Um, cooling cells that might cost them a couple hundred thousand to put in across their farm um, they didn't have that money and so they lost their contract so they were literally sitting dormant not being used mm. and these houses were perfectly good sometimes built in the 80s or 90s just right. not the brand new um, highly upgraded houses that could handle a whole lot of birds inside of that house and so yeah we're literally cutting holes in the sides <laughs> of these buildings that were fine and building you know putting fences outside and you know, making sure that they're not sprayed with pesticides or herbicides for three years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's you know, Jason can speak more to that transitionary process. But for us, we're, we're looking at it like these are perfectly good chicken houses, and these are perfectly capable farmers. And because of the setup, they're they're sitting there completely unused. Right. So is that pretty for, typical of? I, I think you said you now work with fifty farms. <laughs> um, like, it, do, would you say most of them were already farming chicken? 
to begin with and you just help them transition to organic. That's right. Yeah. I, I believe every single one of our farmers were at some point growing conventional ABF chicken and we helped them transition into organic. Wow. And what about the financial investment that's required? Wow. Uh, <laughs> there is, it, it, with everything, it's risk versus reward. So uh -huh. we assume a lot more risk now, but we do reap more of the reward. Um, with having, you have to have the overhead of um, buying your own chickens. You have to buy all your own feed. So the, the farmer has to come up with those expenses up front, up okay. top. So that's where it gets into, you know, this business model isn't for everybody. You know, a lot of people, they're, whether it's they're not, you know, capable of, of footing that expense or if they're just not, you know, comfortable with, mm -hmm. with going that route. It, it takes a lot of dedication to, to do this. Yeah, but <laughs> um, like, what can you give me a sense of the actual financial upfront investment? Like, do you have a general number, Jefferson? That I you I, quote I don't know offhand. No, I was, no. I was just trying to think about that. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on the size of the flock, and yeah. it depends on how um, ready the house is. So right. I would say, like, typically, most most of the cost is in the chicks and the feed themselves, which you know we're uh. being transparent with our mm -hmm. farmers with. Um, we're trying to negotiate as long as it's a solid organic source, make sure that the farmers have a voice in that and that it's it's done as, as uh, clearly as possible to help streamline it, but also make sure that with the traceability, which is so near and dear to us, um, that we're able to constantly ensure that we have quality through the process. Most of the, the build, I guess the fence might cost a couple thousand and mm. putting doors in, uh, you know, modification to the house is going to run, I guess it varies by the house, but you're going to have some money in it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the contracts. So yeah. um, you mentioned Jefferson that that was a really um, key part of mm -hmm. Shenandoah's story is developing these farmer contracts. Um, and that they're really different from what typically exists in Correct. the poultry industry. So um, I, I feel like either of you could really answer this question, but like, what's the big difference? What does a typical poultry contract look like? Um, so you looked at that and said, we're not going to do it that way. Like, yeah. What are some of those things? And it, it, uh, I'll speak very briefly and yeah. let, let Jason do the firsthand speaking to it. But um, early on, Corwin, because I, n I never personally dealt with these contracts, mm. but that was that was part of Corwin's um, greatest frustration was the fact that he had no ownership and he had no decision making. And so sometimes uh, a voice would come down from corporate of a company that he was raising for and say, you must do X, Y, and Z on your own dime. So it still took investment for him from, from that farmer. And if you don't do that, you lose your contract. And that's mm. the way it was being negotiated. It was truly under the thumb of this, this corporate entity. And Corwin is much more independent than that. <laughs> and in speaking to a lot of the farmers around, they, they embrace that sort of, you know, this, I mean this in a good way, the farmer mentality. It's, you know, they've been out pioneering and many, many of these farmers have been maintaining farms for hundreds of years in the same family line. And so the thought that um, really the, the contract model that we run is more similar to how uh, businesses that were processing and selling chicken would have been negotiating with the farmers like 50 years ago. Mm. That model has changed dramatically uh, over the last five decades to where the farmer has no decision-making power. And while that's happened, there's been massive amount of consolidation with uh, the amount of companies that um, farmers have the option of selling to. Right. Like, like in the Shenandoah Valley, I've heard before that 
you know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago, you could sell 20, 30, 40 different places if you raise flocks of chicken, where five, six years ago for us, it was like three. And so if they're all running the same contract model and they're all deciding on what they're going to tell the farmers, the farmers must do in order for that large corporate business to, to survive, um, they're going to pass that down and they know that the farmers are essentially trapped because where are they going to go to? There's not really many other options. Right. Right. Was that your experience, Jason? It was. It was by getting the farmers more involved with, they're automatically the type of people that are more, you know, self-dependent. They, they want to do things to the best of their abilities. It's easier to do something when you're told not that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because farming is a way of life. People choose to do that because it's what they want to do. It's a passion. It's something that, you know, they've been taught from generation after generation, and, and they have the desire to do it. So especially with their model, getting even more involved, even if it's just as far as, you know, assuming, you know, some more of the financial risk, it gives you that incentive to really, really, you know, put every bit of your heart and soul in there, and then it reflects in the product that comes out at the end. Right. Well, and the... The ownership, you're talking about ownership, right? You have ownership over the birds. You have, um, whereas that's in the industry, generally farmers don't have that ownership at all. And, but then you mentioned it, it does, um, I guess it comes with more risk, but what, what kind of risk would you say, um, is the biggest thing that you think about? The biggest risk that you have to deal with is even, you know, the possibility of, um, having some kind of a a failure inside that would cause loss of life with the Mm. birds or, you know worst case scenario diseases or anything like that that's why we we maintain very strict you know biosecurity measures we don't uh, have other outside people coming into the farms we don't try to track anything out cleanliness is very important um, that's from whether it's in your home or even in the poultry houses we keep everything as, as clean as possible and so as long as you use due diligence and you you know take every little consideration and you can you can stave off a lot of the possibilities of those things. Right. And then the reward is um, you're getting a way higher price at the end of the day, yes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like how much higher would you say? Conventionally to finish out a product you might look at twelve to fifteen cents per bird profit, whereas organically with the extra time and, and investment, you're closer to seventy cents. Wow. Um that's incredible, and that's made a really big difference for you. It, it has made a huge difference, and it's helping to even continue to promote the, the continued existence of the family farms. Right, and I mean, this is this is such a great week to be talking about this because, I mean, um, Jefferson, you mentioned um, the that there's only a few companies now that farmers can go to in, in uh, conventional poultry, and um, I was telling you guys earlier, there's a story that came out on the Food and Environment Reporting Network um, just this past Friday about how those companies are now, there's lawsuits against them um, alleging that they also are c- collaborating to essentially fix prices and suppress wages for farmers. Um, and it's alleged, and that's going to, uh, a grand jury is actually going to be looking into it now. But um, I think it, it just speaks to the, the idea of consolidation and, um, not only are there few companies, but the industry as a whole mm-hmm. has historically been a really tough place for chicken farmers, right? Right. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, you had mentioned this earlier on, um, chicken is such a popular and versatile, mm-hmm. uh, meat product and 
if you've limited the amount of places to which the chicken can be sold and processed, but there's already this existing network of, of so many farms, you're, you're set up for a situation like that to happen. Right. Because it's easy, because if you have a highly popular product that you're selling a lot of and there's not much competition, it, it just speaks to that consolidation. And that, that can mean pricing consolidation as well, where um, you know what the market prices are and you're constantly looking to better your margins. And um, unfortunately, the, the group that has suffered the most in that process has really been the farmers, which the big corporations need these farmers just like Shenandoah Valley Organic or, right. or anybody else that's, you know, if, if we're going to have chickens to sell for people to eat, most of us can't raise chickens in our backyard and process them for our own consumption. Um, Not in Brooklyn. <laughs> so I think maybe a few people have them, but it's probably especially not rare. the processing. No. Right, right. Maybe maybe for eggs, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 just quite remarkable. And that was that was part of of the 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 backbone or the foundation or the 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 mission behind uh, why we existed at all. Is it seemed like such an obviously broken system that could benefit so many people. And if you can do that and you can incorporate ecological sustainability, or you can um, make the farmer's lives better and bring a better food product to market, um, yeah, it's a heck of a challenge. Uh, we often say if we knew everything that we were getting into and the decision was made to start a new chicken company, because that does not happen easily. <laughs> um, we don't know if we would have done it, but you know, here we are. And we, we, we never lost faith in the the mission um we had plenty of times at two o'clock in the morning where we weren't sleeping because we didn't know if we were going to be in operation in the future but um part of what kept us going for sure was our employees and also our farmers and knowing that um, we were down for a good cause and honestly the farmers helped carry us through some of the tough times too because that's part of the reason we needed this contract model as well keep in mind as a smaller company it's not like you have billions to put into infrastructure right we're we're operating out of a, a plant that had sat empty for i think 12 years and we're renovating houses that have sometimes sat empty for years and we're you know in a way recycling them or bringing them back to life and that was a direct impact to those farmers' lives, and there was, uh, there's plenty of success stories where um, farmers were about to lose their farm uh, to bankruptcy, or they were having to work one, two, or three other jobs and driving over different places and not seeing their family very much. And so to see them financially be benefited, but also being able to prove now after five years, it's not that we're beating our chest or we've been, you know, hyper successful or anything, but we've survived. Yeah. And so that to me also means that we can continue to thrive into the future because there's a certain amount of, um, that the aha moment. Yes. You know, we're not crazy. This system can work. People are supporting it and it's directly benefiting the farmers. And that's why we want to continue to maintain this contract model that we have. So, um, the consumer can also know that if they're buying product, it's yeah, our, our goal is to always compete on the market from a price point. We don't want our farmer focused organic chicken brand to be priced way higher than other organic chicken that's on the market. We know that we need to be competitive because most all of us have to worry about a personal budget. Mm -hmm. We want to bring them the highest quality product we possibly can and then make the farmers the star of that show. And so that's why the brand is named Farmer Focus. That's why it has that ID. But also um, when we say we want to make the, the, the farmer the star of it, 
um, unless there's like religious principles against photography or something like that, because we right. do have a, a good uh, group of um, conservative farms. We're always showing the source farm where it comes from, and as much as the farmer, like Jason, thanks for being here, man. Um, <laughs> it just it just brings the legitimacy full circle because you don't have to take our word for it. We know that we've seen it. We can speak about it, but it means so much more to have a farmer saying, "And this is how my life was impacted," or I've talked to these other farmers, and they're the ones that helped me network into. Uh, growing for SVO because um, that word of mouth um, testimony from the farmer community has really been the the stage for our growth. And that's why we're, we're blessed to have uh, a nice uh, waiting list for future growth. And as we continue to grow, um, that's what we want to do first and foremost. So we're about ethical raising standards. We're about the organic standards. We're about doing the right thing for Mother Earth and feeding people a high-quality food product. But we often say if you're going to be humane to your chickens, you better be humane to your humans, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That often gets lost, though. Right? It does. Yeah. Um, do the um, farmers that raise chickens for the company, do you ever interact with each other, like share best practices or... T- I'm just curious if that network then becomes... We do. The, yeah. the most awesome thing about the model with Shandoah Valley is the growers are not placed in a ranking system. They're not competing against each other grower. So anytime that we try something that, wow, this really works, we share that all amongst... So the better I do and the better everybody else can do... It just benefits each. We're not in competition with each other. So mm-hmm. if, if we can try something and it's like, well, this doesn't work, we, we pass that on saying, you know, we didn't have good luck with this or we do this or that. Um, but we're constantly trying to encourage each other. If we build something that, that helps just our daily job easier, we share it. So it's instead of working for a company, it's almost like you're a part of a big family. You share ideas and it's really pleasant. Yeah. Um, that's rare. And business, it's right? Extremely rare. <laughs> um, we have to take a quick break for a word from a sponsor. Um, when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, your transparency initiative um, and maybe about distribution and, you know, where who's eating the chicken. <laughs> we'll be right back. This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's Rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's Rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio. I'm here with Jefferson and Jason from Shenandoah Valley Organic. Uh, We've been talking about their organic chicken uh, for (laughs) a little bit. Um, We talked a lot about the farmer-focused model and how um, the brand is really working on supporting farmers and a different contract model in the industry. Um, 
the farms are all in Virginia, is that right? Uh, and West Virginia. And West yeah. Virginia, okay. So you're processing it all at the plant that you yes. mentioned. And so then where does it go? Who's like, are you distributing nationally or what does that look like? So fresh, uh, which of course makes up most of, of what we're um, producing. There is some frozen that go, that does go nationally and a little bit that goes internationally, but almost all of it is uh, Northeastern seaboard or Eastern half of the U S certainly makes up at least three quarters of what we're selling. We're in, um, around 2,600 stores now. So, and most of that has, um, most of the retail growth has really taken off over the last uh, 16 months or so. I believe we launched the Farmer Focus brand as it exists now in May of last year. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that was just a messaging exercise, which is really focusing on what makes us different. And um, <laughs> uh, I, I'll use my example, uh, uh, the example of myself as a typical ADD consumer. When you're going through the store, you have like three seconds about to visually get something to me in a, in a story format and then lead me to maybe want to know a little bit more about it. So we finally honed that in a little bit better. <laughs> um, but we are, I would say roughly um, half of what we're producing now is going into some form of, of a retail sale. Perfect. And and in New York, Fresh Direct is a huge distributor, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. We've... They've they've been our pals actually. They uh, talk with a uh, Stefan there brought about the um, the uh, in, in a conversation. It was the light bulb moment to, to name the brand Farmer Focus, and then from there we got the IDs um, or the the traceability. Um, but yeah, I mean we're at, I know we're in Best Markets, we're in Key Foods, we're in a couple or a lot of lot of independents. Um, and the easiest thing to do is go to farmerfocus.com. There's a really handy um, store locator where you just ping your, your address, and it'll show you the, the stores that are closest to you. But if you're eastern half of the U.S., you should be able to find some place near your area where you can, you can get the chicken. Perfect. And how does the farm ID work? So this is your version of traceability. Yes. Um, yes, so, it is. So every product comes with a code? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah, so um, the... Again, this is part of the aha moment, but as we were figuring out how to best tell the story and make the farmer the show of it, we wanted to figure out uh, what else we could do to set that apart. And I was reading, um, uh, this is a really expensive and, and fancy chicken in uh, in France. It's called Bresse chicken. So it's B-R-E-S-S-E, -S -S -E, I believe, which refers to the area in which these chickens are grown. And they're okay. very, very expensive. Anyway, but <laughs> one of the things that they did to prove the authenticity of the product is they put a little um, ankle taglet on the chickens that traces back to the farm. And I went, well, we could just do that digitally. Oh. And so we built, um, there was a, a, a gentleman that worked um, with, with us, uh, unfortunately since his uh, passed from cancer, but mm -hmm. our dear Dr. Dan, um, I remember him going, Jeffy, just build the process around it because if it becomes the backbone of how you do your business, then it's already in your process and you don't have to change anything. So from the get-go, we worked out a USDA-approved process to where from the farm into the plant and through the plant, and then we can easily tag it into any code that we need outbound, um, we, work, we place a four-digit farm ID is what we call it. Um, or on the package, you'll say, meet your farmer. It'll point an arrow to what we call the farm ID. Um, so that and we're, we're actually working for QR scan code capabilities as well now to make it just even easier if needed but as soon as you go to farmerfocus.com the first thing that'll pop up on the website is enter your farm ID here 
And all of those four digit codes tie back to the specific farm and the specific farmer. Like Jason, for example, his is L-Y-L-E, which is named after his dad. He's an awesome (laughs) dude. You'll see pictures of Jason there, his family, his sister Holly. It's special stuff. I mean, I I know we're really biased, but like, (laughs) it's also really cool because we're happy to share that information with the, with the consumers. And we are getting now as, as this word of mouth, by the way, thanks for having us here to help get the (laughs) word out. But, um, we're starting to see some awesome feedback. Just, just fill in from the website or social media that says, Hey, tell farmer Harry Lee, thanks for the chicken. So we're actually sending messages directly to other people that are, that are coming in from, from all across the nation where, um, yeah, these people are able to understand a little bit more about the farmer that they're supporting by, by buying the chicken. How, when you say they're, you're doing it digitally, what, what's the actual mechanism that the, the chicken is being, how are you tracing it? So, so any truck that comes from a specific farm. Okay. Yeah. So as, as it enters the, the plant process, there's a code that's applied to the, to from, it's a, it's a paperwork trace. Mm. And as soon as it becomes, um, part of the plant process, when I say digitally tracking, um, that goes into our order or our, our processing software. So we're putting breaks in between the separate trucks to make sure that everything is properly traced back, that there's gaps. So we can ensure that each chicken was properly identified to its source form. That flows the whole way through our plant process. So if it's a whole bird, that's pretty easy. But if you're, you know, you have party wings or you have drumsticks or something mm-hmm. like that, as each, what we call whip, which is work in process, um, continues to get broken down we make sure that that code is applied to physically as well as digitally to the tangible product and we constantly have our QA techs verifying it running mock traceability audits internally to ensure that whenever we have it into retail form it's blockchain the whole way through the system back to the source farm it came from got it I was I had this crazy thought when you said that like I feel like is it a microchip? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was thinking about, you know, how, how well, you trace we, like your pets now with the microchip. They micro- don't make them certified <laughs> organic. That was the whole thing. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, this, like wait, where, where, where does that go after when we process the chicken? <laughs> I don't know. I just had a funny thought. Uh, <laughs> you never know. Someday, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> um, so what kind of, um, Jason, like what kind of stuff do you put on your farmer page? Like they to give people an idea of what your farm looks like. So if, if somebody purchases a pack of the, the Farmer Focus brand chicken that has our, our code on it and they type it in, the first thing they're going to see is an overview of my farm, what it looks like. Um, my, me and my sister and my mom and my dad were, were the ones that actively worked the farm. You'll see a picture of all of us staying there so you know exactly who all is, is involved. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see pictures of everything, and, and not everything is is directly chicken related you're going to see just pictures of my farm you might see you know some some of the hay fields or Mm -hmm. or horses grazing in a field or you might see some of the chickens outside actually just playing in the grass and just running around soaking up the sunshine it's every aspect of the farm we're not trying to just say hey this is only what you're allowed to see we're trying to say we're trying to do a broad spectrum of pictures so whenever you take and you actually look at the farm you're actually seeing the farm and then we're even trying to keep refreshing the pictures as it goes so just because you buy a pack of chicken this week and you look at this farm and two months later you get the same farm those pictures might change so you can see how things evolve and how things grow and it just keeps keeps the website really fresh and keeps people interested Mm -hmm. Mm. um i just you know in talking about the farm i thought about two other things we didn't talk about we were talking more about the the model 
um, on the farm side. Um, are you raising a specific kind of chicken? Like, do the genetics of the birds matter when you... Yeah, they definitely matter. Um, so we use a blend of a couple different breeds. Mm-hmm. It's not I, We do take a little bit longer to, to raise our chickens as well. I wouldn't necessarily call it slow-growth chicken. Um, but, yeah, we're constantly trying to dial in the right blend of breeds that, that get you... Uh, decent feed conversion, meaning that the chicken's able to 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 grow, so it's not overly expensive because mm-hmm. we do want to be sensitive to, to to price point, but also gives it a great flavor without being overly gamey. I personally love pheasant. I love some really weird stuff, but <laughs> when people want chicken, they want it to be able to taste like chicken, but not overly gamey. So, um, texture is another big thing. So in, within our process, um, you know, we're we're um, trying to keep the the from the humane certifications as well as the organic standards, we're trying to make sure that the, the life of that chicken is as low stress as possible, and also the plant process is the least amount of stress possible. And also, we're we're, um, we're resting the chickens on the bone. So once we think of it like similar to dry aging beef, we're really trying to make sure that it's it's the proper texture as well as the t- proper flavor. So we're constantly making small tweaks. It's an ever evolving process, but um, we we often say. Um, talk is cheap. You just got to try it. We we get a lot of rave reviews from many people, even even chefs, um, on the product quality, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. But um, the the best example is for people to just try the chicken for themselves. <laughs> what about um, what the chickens are eating? Is it hard to source organic feed? Like I, I know in the U.S., so much of the soy and corn that is grown for feed is not organic it's you know that's correct um so do you have to import it or where does it come from yeah and it's a blend um we do have initiatives where we'd like it to to all be american grown um that takes time just just like the the farmer contract model what we do on the uh, chicken raising side um it's taken um some time to prove itself even though we've stayed true to the original contract right now we're sourcing it through pennsylvania but there's been times where um the the in it is organic soy um corn, other, I mean, everything's a natural from the earth and great as part of being mm-hmm. um, organic. Um, you're using just natural vitamins and minerals uh, to, to give the, the chickens the, the proper fat, protein, et cetera, balance that they, that they need. And we have a great group of uh, chicken dietitians that are working uh, constantly to make sure that that's, and that's another great uh, thing as well that um, with our, our grower meetings, we have um, farmer interaction. We, have, we encourage them to be tweaking and working directly with the uh, feed mills as well to make sure that something works properly for their farm as, as best possible. Um, you hit on something though that, that I think is uh, pretty pretty important, Lisa, and that is um, the awareness. So we, we often say um, when, when I get picked on for for being a big fan of organic, and I think some people believe that it's such a it's such a fringe thing that like I must be crazy or we must be crazy to be invested in it, especially with so much of the market being conventional. And what I usually retort with is, what did people call organic chicken 50 years ago? Just chicken. Mm-hmm. And same thing with crops. We've it's almost like we've got gotten addicted on to relying on herbicides or whatever it is right. to do this process. Um, it takes a little more work to to get the output. Um, that you need without being able to rely on on sprays, but there's, um, yeah, we're we're pretty sure that we're not crazy about the fact that if you don't do that and you work a little harder or smarter and um, do the right things, that you'll be able to grow great crops as well. 
mm-hmm. that are organic. And the, the hope is that as consumer awareness, because consumers have all the power. They're the ones driving the market. Ten years ago, almost no chicken was antibiotic-free, and now uh, most of it is trending in that direction. Um, hopefully that awareness continues with, with crops as well, that you can, you can get um, the consumer base to, to decide to support um, not spraying whenever possible. And we hope that that really grows substantially over the next 10 years within the states. Right. A lot of people come on the show and talk about that, that consumers have the power. And, you know, there's a part of me that, that I, I do believe consumers have a lot of power and need to demand things. But, you know, you mentioned 50 years ago it wasn't organic chicken, it was just chicken, right? And then mm-hmm. companies started doing it this other way. And, and people always say, well, people wanted cheap chicken. But when it didn't exist, people didn't know that it was even a possibility, right? And That's so right. I, part of me thinks, like, you know, there's this consumer demand aspect, but also, like, companies need to be held responsible for, Absolutely. you know... I'm, I'm not saying this. <laughs> We're all for no, the this responsibility. No, is, this isn't aimed at you. This is just, like, a general <laughs> thought, you yeah. know, that... Um, I, think it's, I think it's just as much about, about the awareness. So yeah. you, you hit on something, too, you said. But, but they didn't realize what was happening. Like, a lot of them didn't realize and didn't talk about what was happening. Right. And chicken just got cheaper. And like, oh, okay, our chicken Great. is cheaper. exactly. Cool. Because cool. it shows up, and then you, of course you want right. it, because it's there. And <laughs> it's something that a lot of people don't think about. And let, let's take it back half a century now to, to what food system looked like then. More people were gardening then. More people were raising their own animals then. More people were thinking about all the process that happens between their plate and where food comes from, where now it's it's staggeringly easy to just show up and grab something off a shelf, right. or click and it gets delivered to your door. And unless you're choosing to think about these things, um, it's absolutely a balance between the companies themselves and the consumers. But my, my point was simply that um, raising awareness is a good thing. People talking about it is a good thing because without that, um, it's, it's it's really tough to actually make a change. Yeah. I, it's inter- I thought it was really interesting when you said that people still think organic is fringe, too. Like, Jason, I'm curious, um, among other farmers that you know, um, do you feel like you get pushback? It, it, does that still feel like a perspective that a lot of farmers have? I'm going to say yes, just for the simple fact that I did not come from an organic background. Mm. So with, with me, I looked into it when I first went to go that route. I was looking at the, the financial gains. I was looking as as a business perspective. This is, you know, a better market for me, and that's why I wanted to do this. Mm. And then when I get into it, and then I see not only are we dealing with the organic side of things, but I'm seeing the with the animal welfare side of it, and I'm I'm looking at the product not only how it the end result, but I'm looking at the product all the way through each of its stages, and it's impressive just to see the difference and the actions and demeanor of the just the environment um, not only for the birds but also for myself so I'm looking from from A to B I'm not seeing any downside to the to any part of it mm-hmm. so it it's made a believer out of me and I was not on any way shape or form come from any kind of an organic background but I would definitely stand behind it now yeah and it it's it's great to have that perspective because I think a lot of times like sort of like people who are working on environmental issues are often like pitted against farmers and there's kind of this you know tension there and um but we've been talking this whole time about your model which is like farmer first 
and maybe you just got into it because it was business, but then, you know, the environmental aspects come with it. So. Well, there's, there's, there's farming for quality and then there's farming for quantity. And mm. you have to decide, what do you want to do? I mean, and, and until you can actually put out enough of a product but still not lose that, that quality with it, you're not going to be competitive. But spending the extra time, going the extra mile just to make sure that that quality product, you know, gets out and is available to consumers at, you know, a competitive price, it's phenomenal and it's it's worth it. And the more that we can get people involved with that, it's it's better for not only for the farmers but even for the consumers. Absolutely. So we have to wrap up soon, but um, before we go, um, what what should people know about the future for Shenandoah Valley? Um, are you gonna expand or like bring on more farms? Um, what 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 are the next few years look like? We certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we've we've been blessed to grow at a, a, it's roughly like a forty percent clip, um, which is good because that's allowed us to bring on more farms consistently. Um, we have a nice waiting list of farmers, and we cannot wait to bring them on. Um, we're making investments in our plant now to be able to do that, and we're continuing to, to network with um, independent and supermarket retail chains to help continue um, the, the, the demand side of it as well. Um, one of the biggest things that we're doing as an initiative is expanding into um, uh, further, pro- or I should say, uh, fully cooked items. We have a bone broth that's almost done, a sippable bone broth. Um, we just launched um, uh, fully cooked uh, Italian meatballs and breakfast sausages. Um, we have flavor extensions coming this fall. We're about to launch fully cooked breast strips that are dry seasoned and um, unseasoned. Um, great as salad toppers, great as grab and go, and you can even microwave them if, if you got to nuke them. But it, it's just convenience we know is key. Um, so we got a, a couple of different things in the pipeline there. And the cool thing about this, um, other than having a good quality product at a competitive price is, um, and the mission, of course, which we're talking about, is that traceability. So these are really going to be unique items. Can you imagine getting a bone broth but knowing the exact farm mm. from which that came? These are some serious things that we're working through yeah. to make this possible, and we're doing it, and we're going to continue to do it. So for us being able to expand into other areas of the store, because so far we've only been fresh retail or frozen in e-commerce or meal kit solutions um, but if we're able to go center store and in, in new areas in the the, the supermarket aisles um, these are also touch points for awareness so what our hope is is that as, as the word continues to get out about farmer focus and what the brand represents and how unique the traceability is that people also will enjoy the product and start looking for it in other areas of the store and um, we're hoping that that can help drive continued demand so um, we're up for the task we're continue to stay scrappy and keep working and um, yeah we're, we're really blessed to have a great group of folks um, we've continued to to grow throughout the years and part of that's our our farmer network so could, couldn't be more happy about that great well thank you both so much for being here i really appreciate it thank, thank you so much lisa it was great absolutely um, and before I sign off, I just want to remind everyone that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit supported by members. And we're in the middle of our 10th anniversary summer drive. Um, There's some really cool new member gifts like pizza pins and pizza t shirts. Um, pizza does start on farms, so totally relevant. <laughs> Can't make pizza without tomatoes, you know, lots of things. Um, yeah, so visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. And depending on the level, you can uh, sign up to get one of those awesome gifts. 
Thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.